Welcome to The Partnership, the straight-up business podcast where co-founders chat co-founders with co-founders. I'm Jennifer Bettmeyer. And I'm Melissa Duran-Connor. We know Wait, a th- what are you doing? Go ahead. <laughs> we know a thing or two about being business partners. We launched media relations agency Jennifer Beck Communications, aka JBC, together in 2014. So each episode, we invite co-founders to share their stories about building something new from the ground up. Today, we're so excited to be speaking with MM Lafleur's co-founders, Sarah Lafleur and Miyako Nakamura who together with Nuri Foster launched their women's clothing brand in 2011 to help harness the power of self-presentation and to rethink the shopping process altogether. Before co-founding M.M. LaFleur, which she named after her mother, Sarah had an extensive background in finance in both New York City and Paris, during which she dreamed of a more practical and inspired wardrobe for herself and all professional women. And as creative director, Miyako joined M.M. LaFleur from Zach Posen, where she served as former head designer, also having worked as a freelancer for Theory and Jason Wu. In February, M.M. LaFleur announced its Ready to Run initiative, which offers complimentary clothing loans to women running for public office on the federal, state, or local level. After the election, the items of clothing will be donated to Bottomless Closet, a nonprofit that helps disadvantaged women in New York City looking for work. Which is, by the way, the coolest thing ever. Yeah, when I saw that <laughs> announced, we, we were like, that is so genius. It's so smart. It means so much. I'm curious how that program has, has been doing for you guys so far. I'm sure everyone is hitting you up for that offer. Yeah. I hope they are. Well, I think um, this is where you guys are uh, way more PR savvy than, than me. <laughs> um, I, I mean, my, my communications team is way more PR savvy than me, but I think in my head I was like, oh yeah, that's like, this is something I want to try. And like maybe 200 people will take us up on it max. And I think we hit that number within the first 48 hours. And I mean, actually, even within the first 10 minutes of launching the campaign, we had, you know, several customers who are Congresswomen who just like responded immediately saying like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you guys are doing this. This is so awesome. And I was like, huh, like I didn't think it would get such a response. And then it really just like snowballed into this much bigger thing. So um, it, it, t- it certainly took me by surprise. I think um, Courtney, our publicist, and, and Maya, who runs our communications, was like, yes, of course. Like now get ready. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Yeah. And we should mention um, we came together because Courtney is a longtime friend of mine and Melissa's, and she's fantastic. And as soon as we saw the press kind of, or even a tweet, about what you were doing. Melissa and I were like texting her like crazy. Like, this is genius. This is like amazing. <laughs> You're so lucky you get to work with them on this because, you know, I think it's rare from a publicist or a communications point of view that you actually get to work on programs you're really proud of personally and professionally. And maybe and, I just need to pause there and say, you led us to Courtney. So. Uh, oh, that's right. Full circle so, moment. Yeah, it is. And that was, gosh, four, four maybe maybe even five years ago now. Yeah. Um, that It was a really, really long time ago. Yeah. So, so let's take a step back before, because we could actually talk about that program for the entire podcast and maybe we will, but would love to go back in time a little bit to when you guys launched and hear a little bit about, you know, why did you launch this brand? You obviously saw a massive void in the industry. Um, I think 
unless, you know, we keep using the phrase living under a rock and I have to find a new one, um, Melissa, but I think most (laughs) people know who you are and know about the great work you guys have done, but would love to hear a little bit about the beginning and how you came together and and what all the co-founders brought to the table. Yes. I'll start only because I, I would say the idea originated from me, but then I, this business would be nowhere without Miyako. So I'll just share kind of the origin of the story. And then I think Miyako, you should dive in and talk about, I mean, she, she really has, is the one with the um, fashion credentials here. I just count the cash as I say. Um, But I, uh, so my background, I was in management consulting. I did a student in private equity. I never in a million years thought I would work in fashion. It was like not really an aspiration of mine or, you know, a particular dream of mine. I mean, I, I, my mom worked in high end fashion. So in some ways, I guess the apple didn't fall far from the tree, but it wasn't like I was pouring over the pages of Vogue as a child. And, um, it was, it really came out of necessity. I, you know, having worked in these very male dominated fields, I, I really, leaned on the power of costume to kind of communicate who it is that I, I wanted to be. And, you know, that, that I wanted to be taken seriously. I'm, I'm half Asian. Like I, I look young and usually, especially when I moved over to the private equity firm, I was really one, like usually the only woman in the room. Um, and usually 20 to 30 years younger than everyone else in the room. And so, um, I, I felt this as a pain point. And then, and then I was spending so much money at brands that I didn't particularly, you know, I shouldn't, I don't even say like, I think I was like pretty neutral towards all of them, but I was spending so much money on, on pieces that, just didn't hold up well. Um, and a lot of the practical co- considerations that I had as a working woman, like I wanted things that were machine washable because, you know, I sweat <laughs> and uh, wrinkle resistant because nobody wants to take out the ironing board at 7 a.m. I just felt like nobody was thinking about those things. And so that's where the idea came from. I just wanted things that fit beautifully, that were easy to care for, that that really were on a, a different level design-wise. Um, I think this is where my mother's influence comes in, but you know, I, I would see the beautiful, beautiful tailor dresses that were sold on Net-A-Porter, um, whether it's Alexander McQueen or um, who were the other references, Miyako, that we were first looking at? Um, Victoria Beckham was another one. Yeah. And then we were looking at Lanvin. Yeah, Lanvin, yeah. So oh, there, swoon. Yeah, swoon, right? But like <laughs> never actually at a price point that most working women could afford. Like, who is actually buying these things? Because it's definitely not the professional women around me. So that was where the idea came from. And then, and then I met Miyako through a headhunter of all things. Um, Wait, let's take a step back because yeah. that is so fascinating to me. Because we've we've interviewed a bunch of co-founders now, and I think the interesting thing about this podcast is everyone comes together in totally different ways. But this is the first time I think we interviewed anyone who met kind of through a formal uh, hiring, like a formal search. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Is I mean, again, like I didn't know I didn't know anybody in fashion, so even the way I got to this headhunter was like I had one girlfriend who I went to college with, who after graduation had gone on to study fabric or textile design at RISD. And I was like, oh, that's like one step closer to fashion than um, whatever liberal arts program we were in. And she happened to know one person in the fashion design program who then introduced me to several headhunters. And so it was, you know, I didn't have 
I didn't have a network of fashion people, but I think a lot of people end up thinking that Miyako and I go way back because, well, we both grew up in Japan. Um, Miyako from the more elegant Kyoto, me from Tokyo. And I think our relationship has just been pretty magical. So um, I think a lot of people think this must have been a, an organic connection, but, but no, we went through a process. <laughs> So Miyako, what happened when you heard from the headhunter? Did, did it sound like something you were even remotely interested in? Um, I don't know how, how it actually came about, but it was just a very magical timing where um, I was working at Zach Bozen for quite a long time. And then I left um, after working there for seven years and I was freelancing at multiple different places at the time. And um, I really did have a question about my profession at the time where it felt like uh, fast fashion was coming into the industry and the world was filled with clothes. And I really did question about if my profession was necessary or not. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I, I had a hard time sort of putting another foot forward into, let's say, another design house or find a place to commit my life to. And then I met Sarah and uh, she was basically telling me that she has no clothes to buy. And it was just very strange to me where I feel like anywhere you go in the city, it's filled with clothes. There's no way that you can't find clothes. And then she started to explain to me what was missing from what she actually was looking for. And I do remember when she told me about um, her shopping experience and she said, oh, you know, I go into like department store or boutique and I see really beautiful, simple dress and I turn the um, dress backwards and it back is always open. And I remember thinking, of course, back is always open because that's like a trick to make the simple dress interesting. And on the design side, I experienced doing that thing that she actually, it worked negatively for her purchase. But mm -hmm. I really realized that because I wasn't really in the environment that those attire was necessary. So then she really kind of put me the idea in my head where, oh, just clothes just needs to be looked at differently. What if we create a line of clothing that is a lot more customer centric? Mm -hmm. Because the idea of her clothing really was sort of evolving around the wearer rather than, let's say, like designer or design point of view. What is it that people are looking for? And then how could we actually materialize the ideal form of that? I think that idea was very interesting to me, as well as at the time, industry was in a very strange place where runway shows and um, typical process of fashion design seemed to struggle to me. And um, mm -hmm. I had a hard time finding um, value in a lot of things that so much talent actually puts effort into. And uh, e-commerce actually was at the time a very new thing in the industry. And I was very curious about how it would work and how it would evolve a bigger channel into the industry. And then that's sort of why I decided to take what Sarah offered me to do first. Like Jen said, we've talked to a lot of different co-founders and have we represent a lot of different co-founders who for the most part have all known each other in some way, shape or form first. So whether they're friends in college, they dated, they're married, whatever, but you're sitting with someone who is literally a stranger to you and they have this great idea and it's obviously speaking to you, but how do you guys then say, okay, we're going to do this together and then build a relationship because you're literally getting to know each other as you're building something new together at the same time. Like how, what was that like? It was pretty organic. 
it, it like initially, and I, I give this advice a lot when um, I meet like a solo entrepreneur who's looking for a partner, but I never, like, I just say like, why don't, why wouldn't you just start out with a, a freelance opportunity, which is what we started out with, you know? Mm-hmm. I paid Miyako like an, an exorbitantly small amount of money to this day. I'm just like, I cannot believe you actually agreed to that project <laughs> the amount that I was willing to offer. Um, but I think we were both testing each other out. Right. And I think that's the important part. It's not just that you are, um, you're testing this relationship out. Like the other person's also testing you out. And I think, I think at some point, I don't know, maybe like three, four months in, it, it was pretty clear that it was working well. And so then we said, okay, like, should we make this more official? And I, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I'm, I'm struggling to remember now, but it probably wasn't until like six or nine months in that we like actually talked about equity and all of that. Right. Yeah. I mean, to be completely honest, when we just started to work on this project, I really didn't take it seriously. <laughs> I, Breaking news. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm just going to collect my check and get out of here. <laughs> it was like a small project that just happens every now and then. You know, so many people try to start something. And of course, I saw an opportunity or really interesting hope in it. But what am I going to lose if right. this go out? So I, I felt like it was, okay, small project that I can really work put my effort into and let's make a really beautiful seven dresses which we have started and then slowly I think when we started work together I I started to recognize that she wasn't in the quotation the business people that I have always interacted with and she was a lot more like a human who happened to be really good with numbers and um pretty nice compliment (laughs) (laughs) best compliment (laughs) And, but that's, that was sort of the impression. I do remember the moment when I was thinking like, oh, she really does care about people. And it was sort of surprising to me because I did not actually expect that. And yeah. she would talk about the house care for like three people company. <laughs> it was shocking how yeah. humane she was. It's and funny, that- I mean, because we actually we had a similar situation, Melissa. I mean, when I was just consulting and everyone says, why is it Melissa's name in the name of your company? It's because when I just started consulting underneath the name JBC, Jennifer Bett Communications, that's my name. And it was just me. And then Melissa and I kind of got linked up again. We had worked together, I want to say five years prior to that. And Melissa just kind of started helping me out. I said to her, I have a lot of work. I need a really senior person to run with it. She said, sure. I don't think she took it very seriously either. It was just kind of like two publicists that were approaching PR with a different lens and we were working together. And then I want to say a few months into it, we started really picking up with business and had a lot of interest. And I said, okay, you know, I, <laughs> I, I, I think this could be something. Do you want to be the quote unquote managing director? And Melissa, who I want to say was 28 at the time or some sort of insulting 27, age, 28, yeah. <laughs> came back and she was like, mm, I'll be your managing director, but I want to be your partner. And I was like, excuse me? <laughs> like, did not expect that at all. It was such an, frankly, informal relationship we had. And I was so impressed by like her chutzpah, like her, you know, that 
confidence she had to kind of speak up and say like, this is what I want. This is what I'm worth. I, I don't even think I thought twice about it, Melissa. I mean, maybe mm. you remember better than I do, but I think. No, it was like, a, it was a very easy conversation. You know, I think we, like you said, we, I was working independently as well. And then, and also working with Jen and yeah, we just realized we are onto something and if we're going to do this, let's do this. And Jen definitely was like, we, like, let's formalize in some way. Cause now we're a real thing, but I have a very strong entrepreneurial spirit and was like, if I'm going to hitch my wagon, I want to really hitch my wagon <laughs> and then let's, you know, do it together. And, you know, I, I grew up with uh, parents who said I could ask for anything I wanted. If you don't ask, you don't get. So I was, <laughs> I had no qualms saying I want, well, we can be partners doing this if you want me to come on. And, and it worked out and it, it worked out for us because we just, we had our thing. Well, I think that's a common thing that comes up in these podcasts is you make a good partnership. If you realize that there's actually someone who can make the brand even better. You know, I would like to think I could do everything myself. I certainly can. I'm the first person to say, Melissa is smarter than I am. She's better at a lot of things that I don't do well. And I think as an entrepreneur, to be able to take a step back and say, this person will only make me stronger and will only make the company succeed more is like always step number one. And it mm -hmm. seems like you guys had a similar vibe in the beginning and, and situation. Yeah. I mean, you know, so much of what you just said rings very true to me. And I think is like, uh, you know, I think Miyako and I have spoken to a bunch of founder, co-founder situations since then, but I think a lot of the best ones are the ones that kind of happen organically, like your partners before you even realized you were partners. Mm -hmm. I think for, for me and Miyako, you know, whereas clearly you two are both experts in, in PR, it's like, I, I, <laughs> I mean, I have, my knowledge of fashion was so basic you know, I tell the story about how Miyako in the early days told me that we're going to need to hire a pattern maker. And I said to her like, oh, no, 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 don't worry. We're not going to do any um, prints. We're only going to use solid color. <laughs> <laughs> and, and she was like, that's not what a pattern maker does. <laughs> so but everyone listening though, a pattern maker does not make patterns. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. A pattern maker is the architect of the dress, the right. blueprint designer, you know, and I thought it was someone who's going to do like, draw flowers on our dresses or something. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, yeah. So like, you know, it was so clear how, uh, how much I needed her to um, actually turn this into a viable business as opposed to just something in my head. Um, and then I think conversely, well, Miyako always says I'm not the business person, but she's incredibly actually business savvy, but I, I happen to like the numbers, you know, that's the part where mm -hmm. same. I excel, I have fun with it. Um, so, and she's, she doesn't want to get into to that so it's it's good it's a so from a, a very early point it was very clear who was going to do what I mean whereas some co-founders come together and they have similar skill sets and it there are those growing pains where you're kind of like you're going to do this and I'm going to do this and you're going to lay off this it was pretty crystal clear who was overseeing what from the beginning yeah. Well, and now years in, would you say that there is any crossover? Because you mentioned that Miyako is business savvy. And obviously over these past few years, I imagine you've picked up what pattern makers are and more about fashion. So do you find yourselves like the dynamic of your relationship in the way you are partners and leaders at your company different now than it was obviously in the beginning? We do collaborate on a few different areas. Of course, she inputs into what type of garments that we want to be making or what kind of improvement that we want to make um, into existing products. And I think those communications are really important. 
but I think at the end of the day, I think we kind of know who's in charge of what territory. So even if I disagree on something of what she's doing, I'm definitely comfortable with her making the final call. And I think it's a vice versa. And it's the line being very clear, even though we could input into each other's territory, um, that definitely helps. I was going to say, like, I feel like the role I play in design, if I do at all, is as a customer. So I'm saying like, hey, Miyako, you know what I really want in my wardrobe is X. And sometimes she'll be like, that's crazy. We're never like, we're never going to do that. And sometimes she's like, hmm, okay, let me go think about that. And I think a lot of our best products have come out through collaborations like that. And then I think on the brand and creative side, which is, I think that's another area where we overlap a little. I'm always kind of coming from the customer's perspective. So like maybe, you know, more commercial, uh, Mm -hmm and not afraid to say it. And then Miyako is the one who's always kind of pushing and elevating the brand to say like, okay, that's so 2019. We, we're not going to do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, right. So I think there's this constant push and pull. And, and I think the important thing is like neither, we're both pretty low ego. And so ni- neither one is looking to like dominate or, or win here. We, I think that's been pretty essential for the business, for, for our relationship is that it, mm-hmm. it's not a power play. Um, it never has been. And how are you guys, I know like right now it's a crazy time. We're obviously still in the middle of this pandemic and a lot of people are working from home um, and they're separated. Before this happened and before we all kind of scattered, what was your method of communication? Did you guys talk every day on the phone? Do you guys sit next to each other in the office? Do you communicate on Slack? How much do you communicate a day and, and how do you even do it? The funny thing is we don't communicate much. <laughs> that's true. the opposite of me and Jen <laughs> you you share you tell yeah it's funny probably she's like the person I talk the least with somebody who I have to um work with <laughs> so Has I, it, was it always like that though or did, when you first started working together were you communicating more when you were kind of finding your way yeah, I think we, I mean, we were, we were such a small company for such a long time, you know, um, gosh, we were probably like a less than 15 person company for the first five years. And so we, we obviously communicated, I think more back then, but I think I, I generally know what she's thinking. I, you know, Miyako said this earlier, so I had like, sometimes, you know, somebody will come to me and said like, oh, Miyako said no to this. And I was like, I'm pretty sure she didn't actually say no to that. She might have said no to this in this situation, but mm-hmm. I actually don't think it's a blanket no. Um, and and vice versa. And so like I I can't think of times where I was like surprised by whatever she said. I usually know what she's going to say and I usually know what she's thinking. So I, I think we are able to finish each other's sentences and, that, and that's really helpful. And and I think the other realization we had the other day is that when we we have victories when we have wins in the company you know whatever they may be we tend to share them more with the with our teams with our entire company whereas like when we're going through a hard time and things are are rough like that's really way more when we turn to each other and say like god this is painful you know like Mm -hmm. this hurts like last year beginning of last year we went through a big restructuring and it was honestly one of the most difficult moments I think for me in running MM and coming out of it we were both like you know what we just need to like go do something totally different and not use our brains (laughs) 
so we um we went to india together for about 10 days a week yeah and and it was just you know the two of us in india which neither of us had ever been to um exploring something and experiencing something just so foreign to both of us and i think it's that it's it's so it's that kind of relationship you know where we're we're much more i think we turn to each other we're, we're much more inward looking i think when things are hard and we really lean on each other that way no, that's amazing. And that's a really interesting reaction to a hard time is to take, like most people I think would say I need to be alone or like separate and decompress. And it's a really kind of like singular thing, but it's really nice to hear how you guys, when there is a challenging time, you come together. I, I think Jen and I do a very similar thing too. When we're having a tough time with work, it's really, uh, I mean, we talk all the time, so it's a little bit different all day long, all night long, but we definitely are go into each other when it's really rough, but I, Jen has never invited me to India for 10 days. So, um, <laughs> I mean, in all fairness, I, Melissa, since we started this business, I haven't taken more than I think three consecutive days off. So oh my gosh, you guys yeah. are such hard workers. No, it's not. <laughs> oh, no, 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 it's not me. I go on vacation. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a weird thing I have. And it's, I we went I, to Hawaii. I beg her to go on yeah. vacation and Wait, shut t- off her phone. Tell us about it. Yeah, it's just I. It's a weird thing I have, and I it's I, it's gotten a little bit better. Um, you know, over the past year, I want to say now that I live in LA, um, I, I am able to kind of shut off at times. But I've never had the type of personality that can shut down from my job. And it's something I work on every day. And Melissa is fantastic at it. We actually, we interviewed for our first podcast, we did the co-founders of The Skim. And I've been an advisor there since they launched. And I think Carly and Danielle are masters at that. They are so, they stress the importance of self-care for their team. And they each take vacations with their husbands or families. And they, they really shut off for a solid week. And they do not get kind of immersed in the business, even if there's, you know, a problem, unless it's like a really big issue, they're shut off and they come back refreshed and feeling good. And they, they inspire their entire team to do that. Mm-hmm. And it's something I know as a founder is something I need to work on because it's driving everyone in it's, my life It's crazy. one of those things that Jen, Jen is very good at leading at example, by example, 99.9% of the time, this is the one area that she is not good at <laughs> leading yeah. by example. And um, it sounds like you're aware of it and you know I'm it. I'm very aware. I mean, yeah. very aware. I've been in therapy. I get it. Um, I've been in therapy. Yes. I just, yeah, I, I work on it. I definitely think that, um, and this is a horrible thing to say, you know, I, I think a lot of kind of interesting learnings are coming out of this insane time we're in right now. But I think forcing me to be in a house with a family has definitely made me uh, aware of how much I work (laughs) and how important it is to shut down. Whether it's, you know, we started a garden and going outside and working on our garden or going for a walk. I think I've actually gotten a little bit better at it since this whole social distancing, Mm self-isolation thing started. But yes, Melissa, we're not, I'm not taking you to India anytime soon. Um, It's really disappointing. I was going to say, for Miyako, I think a lot of it is, it's part of her job to, like, collect inspiration. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Is there anything else you guys do as co-founders? Because I bet you didn't even know that that idea of, you know, we had a hard time, but what we did was we came together and we took this trip and it felt like it kind of, I don't know, rejuvenated us or reset us. Are there any other things that you guys do together that you think might be the formula for how your dynamic works? Because it obviously works really well. You know what I mean? I, I'm curious. 
I think every now and then it's really funny because she's horrible with the timing always, but sometimes she just pops up into my office without any announcement. <laughs> I think I do that on a regular basis. And it always happens when I'm really into something. <laughs> yeah. I usually just come to lie on her sofa because I, I get to take my CEO face off and then just collapse into her. She's like the counselor's office. <laughs> nice. I think that's an important like refuge to have when you're in an office setting. I'll, obviously, right now it's a little bit different. I, you know, I was just thinking about your like, question, Melissa. It's like, what's the what's a huge part of a relationship? And like, I think humor is a, a big one. Uh, both of us growing up in Japan. You know, Japanese humor is definitely a little different from American humor. And I just feel like a sillier person. I mean, I'm a pretty ridiculous person anyway, but like, and you know, I just, it's a, a, a sillier side of me and it comes out in Japanese and she's the person I get to share it with. Well, it does help that we have another language that we communicate with because that's actually my mother tongue and I'm more comfortable speaking in Japanese than I am in English. So I do feel like I am also able to communicate in a, a little bit of different level than other people. And it, for sure, she does, <laughs> she does come out with another side of Sarah um, when we are speaking in Japanese. And I think that makes us feel like we're friends when we're speaking in Japanese. You know, hopefully we have a lot of entrepreneurs that are starting out listening to this. Do you guys have any advice for them if they're potentially looking for a co-founder or they're starting their own business and trying to figure out if they need a co-founder? Is there any tidbits of wisdom you can offer people? You start because you're the creative. And I think um, I think creative people also want to start businesses often but and, and thinking about whether to bring on a business partner. The hard thing is that I think it's probably the same for every single person, but it, I think the first thing is to recognize what your asset is. And um what you are really good at and in order to run a company what else would you need and in my case for sure I wouldn't be able to run a company so for me it's almost a no question that you would have to have somebody who's a little bit more process driven number driven or logical um all that and um I think looking for the quality that you are aware that you can't really deliver to the best, then I think that's, that's the person that you have to work with. I think ultimately what makes our relationship successful is that um, we have a pretty similar sense of value. So when we were like facing something, what we find it really, really important to push forward versus what we find idiotic is very similar. For that reason, decision-making becomes a little bit easier. Yeah, I think the values thing is the one I have to emphasize the most. It's like, before you even look at their resume, forget their LinkedIn profile for a second. Mm -hmm. Like, this is actually someone you can spend three hours at dinner with and like just genuinely have a good time. And um, the wisdom that my mother, who's also an entrepreneur, passed on to me is, is um, well, she, she initially talked about this being very important when you're looking for your life partner, um, but she calls it the taxi test, which is um, really, you, you know, it's a very New York City centric test, but uh, you want to, you want to um, marry someone or be with someone who takes taxis at the same frequency that you do. You don't want to be with someone who's only taking taxis all the time. But at the same time, you don't want to be with someone who's like, no, I never take a taxi. I only take a subway. Like, and where are you on the spectrum? And, and does your partner have the same sensibilities? And um, anyway, she, she mentioned in the context of dating, but I think it really applies to your, 
your partner, <laughs> so funny. business partner in some sense, actually maybe even more because it's at the end of the day, it's, it's a financial versus, you know, efficiency question. I think in, in our case, Miyako takes a taxi probably a little bit more than I do, but, <laughs> but we're pretty, we're pretty similar that way, you know, in terms of like what we think is important. You know, Melissa's the person I want to be around and I want her advice and I am inspired by, and I think all of those things make someone a good business partner. I think you're totally right about the LinkedIn thing. I think at the end of the day, if you don't genuinely like the person and have a similar set of values, you know, you value your family and you value a, a good work ethic and you value taking good care of your team, then it, it could fall apart in an instant. So, you know, to us, we look at the human side of it before we look at the kind of professionalism aspect mm -hmm. of it always. Yeah, I get so amazing advice. And I think um, a lot of young entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs who um, have their own business now will take a lot away from this. Before we get into like our last couple of minutes here, what is next for MM LaFleur? Anything we should be on the lookout that has recently launched, is about to launch? Obviously, we know the drill. We don't want to break any embargoes, but um, so whatever, <laughs> whatever you're Maya's, to... Maya's probably like seriously <laughs> texting, like, don't say this, don't say this. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I've, I'm Courtney's worst client, definitely, because on numerous occasions, I've supposedly, and I put this in quotes, dropped bombs that I wasn't supposed to. <laughs> She's like, oh, why did you do that? So um, <laughs> definitely that person. I'm going to try my best not to drop any bombs right now. But what's actually, in some ways, it was well-timed, not obviously on purpose, but with everything that's going on right now. We launched our first set of these luxury Peruvian Pima cotton uh, t-shirts, which it's like coming from a brand that was doing a lot of, you know, form-fitting dresses and suiting. That was, that was so much of our business. And I think maybe around two years ago, we really started to see, oh, actually, you know, San Francisco is our third biggest market. And so we had a lot of customers who work in tech and marketing saying like, hey, like I want to dress nicely, but if I dress too nicely, people think I'm interviewing. And yet I don't want to dress like that, you know, my male colleagues who can show up in a jeans and a hoodie because mm -hmm. that, that's just not who I am. And in some ways they were struggling, I would say even more than, you know, a lot of our customers who just go to work in a suit. Like in some ways it's very straightforward. Mm -hmm. It's a uniform. And these women were saying like, can you design me my uniform? And so Miyako started working on um, what we now call the power casual concept, it's talking to a lot of customers out in, in San Francisco. But I think um, since then, I mean, we see a lot of our customers in, in New York, even, you know, who work in the tech or the media space, really adopting this uniform. Mm -hmm. And as part of that, we went into um, t-shirts and it's been flying off the shelves. And so our, our merchandiser was just saying like, this was certainly unexpected. You know, we thought it would be just a small part of our business that would gradually grow, but it's actually now emerged as our, our top selling category. So that was, that was a big surprise, but Miyako is going to do lean even more into that, um, that power casual category. So Miyako, do you want to talk a little bit about it? Yeah. Sure. Um, I think um, adapting into our customers' work attire has always been something that we were very cautious of because we want to be relevant to wherever the um, work attire is moving forward. And I think it was very clear to us that everybody's definitely dressing down to go to work. So how do we adapt into the new environment yet to be able to keep offering a polished um, work attire? 
or like work from home attire. And mm-hmm. I think that has been a lot of our thinking path towards what our new category would be. As Sarah said, the t-shirt was very much of the first step forward. And um, we're actually just working on um, almost a little bit more forward expansion towards our casual wear. So we're looking into like Terry's and uh, what is our version of a, in quotation, sweatshirt that you could even go to work with and how our um, casual shoes looks like and how does she um, sort of lounge at home after she comes home without changing. And I think generally her um, behavior is just becoming a little bit more, less made up. So I think specifically for um, product development, we are really looking into easing up our offering. I think that's great. I am always on the hunt for a good t-shirt too. Can you guys also remind us what is your website? Oh, thank you. Yes, it's (laughs) com and the t-shirts we were just talking about again they're the peruvian pima cotton t-shirts but the sweatshirt actually that's also become one of our best sellers is called the para sweatshirt and it's made out of viscose as opposed to you know typical Hmm. cotton and it's just it's so luxurious um and uh definitely like something you could dress up and easily wear on night out but also just something you could get cozy with at home and i think that's that's amazing yeah, that's that's our take on this casual wear. It's is at the end of the day, it's still MM. Like it mm-hmm. can't be something you would maybe pick up at the Gap. You know, no, right, re- right. I love the Gap, by the way. So no disrespect here, <laughs> but like you know, it's it's um we we really focus on our manufacturing partners. Most of this we're doing with our partners out in Japan, which has actually been just also a really nice way to be in touch with our roots again. And then making sure that the presentation, you know, meets Miyako's very, very high standards. So awesome. Okay. So um, let's jump into our ship final five. Then I'm going to kick it off with the first question. What is your, what's the last book you read? I just finished writers and lovers. Have you guys heard about that book? No. Um, I read a lot. And hold on, let me just look. It's Lily King. Um, she wrote Euphoria too, um, which I want to say came out like maybe 2013. It was a while ago. And um, Writers and Lovers is is kind of this um, coming of age story, but a, a slightly uh, later one that we all know we go through uh, around 2930. I actually, I think, you know, this period, not to go all um, astrology on you, I think it's called Saturn Return. Do you guys know that concept? No. Hmm. Yeah, like, so Saturn Return, actually, I, this is relevant because at one point I thought I was going to call M.M. LaFleur Saturn Return, and I'm so glad I didn't. But, um, <laughs> so the idea is like every, you know, like we celebrate your 21st birthday and then there's your 50th. But um, according to the concept of Saturn Return, Saturn makes its full orbit, I want to say every 29 years. And actually, that's that's the most important point in your life is what around the time you turn 30 and then around the time you turn 60. And I mean, Melissa, even hearing you say that that's when you joined, um, you know, Jen at this firm, like it makes me think that was in many ways your career defining moment. Sure. Uh, yeah. For me, it was, um, starting MM for sure. But anyway, writers and lovers is very much about that moment. And it's about, um, a, a woman who's trying to really make it as a, an author, um, while waiting table tables in, in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And I, I just loved it. It was, fabulous so I highly recommend awesome what about you Miyako <laughs> um I think the last book I finished was um Killing Commandator by oh, Harry. oh yeah 
Was it good? I'm so curious. Yeah, it was really good. Um, I'm a huge fan of his books and I haven't, I haven't been able to have a time to read his book for a while, but he's always the one who ends the story in a very whimsical way where a lot is left up to your imagination. And um, I forgot about his writing and then I finished the book and I was like, oh, so what happened? <laughs> and I actually really did enjoy kind of thinking through a lot of different scenarios and um, possibility. Given that we're all quarantined right now, once we are able to safely go out and support local businesses, is there, and you're both New Yorkers, what is the restaurant you're going to run to first? <laughs> That's a really hard one. I know. But actually, I think Cafe Luxembourg is just, it's a neighborhood joint that I just love so much. Um, the other place, I'm sorry, you said one, but I just have to give a shout out to Pastichis, which is up on 124 in Broadway. And that is where um, my 93-year-old grandmother, she lives around the block, lifelong New Yorker, and my husband and I go almost every Sunday for jazz night. And um, it is like I the love that. magical place. And we, Pamela is the, ma the main singer. Um, and she always um, sings to my grandmother when she comes in oh, on her wheelchair or so her walker. Sweet. It's amazing. And then my grandmother sometimes gets up and dances um, with a, a guy who's, who's 99 years old who comes with his son. And uh, it's just, it's a magical place. And we always end um, by singing New York State of Mind at the end. And uh, I just can't wait to get back to Jazz Night at Pastichi. So that's, that will be, those were the two restaurants I'm, I'm going to be visiting a lot. I think mine will be this one called Beko in Greenpoint. I live in Williamsburg, so um, I often go to um, restaurants in Greenpoint. But it's a Brazilian restaurant. And they often have a DJ inside and somehow they play their music really, really loud. It's almost, <laughs> it's almost like you can dine and then rave at the same time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I just want there's also a, listeners to know that Miyako is the mother of a, a three-year-old girl. <laughs> that's why now I have to do that instead of actually raving. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Um, there's a, a spot in Williamsburg called in South Williamsburg called Miss Favela. Have you been there? It yeah, sounds like, I, I've, I've heard about it, but I've never been there. It's like the same concept. You eat and like there's a live band playing amazing Brazilian music. And like at a certain time, they don't care if you're done or not. They just start picking up the tables because it's time to dance. So you <laughs> kind of have to just like eat and move along. But I love it there. so fun. It's, it's wonderful if you ever are just like, I need to go back to my like mid 20s and dance and sweat that's where you go melissa that was like four years ago for you no it, it wasn't <laughs> it was a lot longer it was it was a lot i'm you forget that i age just as much as you do so <laughs> I, I, first of all i don't know what you're talking about because i actually don't age but <laughs> all right sorry we always say these are fast questions and they never are sorry yep. so the next one is what's on your bedside um for me so it's just a bunch of photos of my family. And then I have an alarm clock, believe it or not. I really have made an effort, I would say, in the past two years to not sleep with my phone. I'm like the worst sleeper. And not bringing my phone into my room has definitely helped with that. And then I've got like an endless stack of books that I'm always trying to get through. Um, I have a pile of my daughter's books. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> what is um, your must-have beauty product? It can be anything under the beauty umbrella. I use this um, lipstick by NARS called um, Fire Down Below. 
<laughs> that's, that's the right color that I really, really love. Um, it's a great name. That's my favorite mustard. I'm going to recommend, this is my, my skincare brand. It's called Albion and it's a Japanese one. And my Japanese grandmother introduced me to it. It's one of those brands that's been around for like probably a century and a half, but I, I don't think they like sell it commercially in the U S you can order it on Amazon, however. And, um, I splurge for those and I love them. Um, okay. Last one. What is your, um, like, what are you doing right now for self-care? Is, is it a glass of wine at night? Not for you, Sarah. <laughs> I, I, I have my imaginary gin and tonic. Yeah. Or, you know, is it reading a book or whatever? What, what are you guys doing to take care of yourself right now? Um, I take a bath, actually a really long one while my husband watch my daughter at night. And then that's my, um, very, very precious half an hour. Love it. My thing has arrived. <laughs> Show, I'm showing them my, my 85 pound uh, dog, Ruggles. <laughs> and uh, to be clear, we live in a 1100 square foot apartment. And uh, uh, so I don't know what we were thinking getting such a big dog, but he's the love of our lives. And um, actually one of my biggest joys has just been like spending time, so much time with him. I feel like, I mean, I, I loved him so much, but it's a whole new level of affection you develop for a creature that you spend 24 seven with. And yeah. Um, yeah, so he's, and I think he feels similarly. He just comes and just sits by me whenever, whenever I'm working every That's now and so then. He, yeah. He lets out a bark. Uh, he can't help himself, but uh, yeah, it's just actually, you know, animal love is just like another one of those things where you're just like, I, I like didn't know I could possibly love. Um, okay, I'm going to cry. Yeah. <laughs> I, my dog passed away like the beginning oh. of the pandemic. Oh God, I'm so sorry. Oh no, don't apologize. It was just, it, it was oh, weird. So she was like 14 and like, mm -hmm. I mean, Melissa was close with her. She was just like the love of my life. And it's so interesting because I'm kind of like, this would have been the perfect time to mm -hmm. have with her because she just like loved cuddling and stuff. But part of me is kind of like, she just knew what was coming and she was like, peace out. I am not living through yeah, this get me out of here. crazy yeah. time. I do not need to be around all of you people all day long. <laughs> so she's like, I am good. Madison's um, but the smartest I, one of all of us. Yeah, but I, I get the dog thing. I under, I think everyone on this call, Maura, our producer um, as well, everyone has like a really deep connection with, with dogs. Yeah. And it's, um, it's just, it's strange. Like, again, I don't, I don't have kids yet. So like, I, the this idea that like kind of just quantity time like even just like the act of like sitting in a room together has a, this incredible um bonding effect mm -hmm. I, I didn't realize that so yeah. are you are you thinking will you adopt again or we have another dog adopt? too we have a, yeah. a very large other dog who's been like pacing <laughs> around me because she needs to go out um so for now we're good with the one um because yeah. we had to and now we're one and then once we kind of get out of this predicament will kind of reassess um adopting another one yeah a little too soon right now for me no i i mean my husband always says when ruggles dies i'll kill myself yeah. <laughs> so, i mean it was rough uh, melissa was very close to, to coming out here yeah. it was it was a rough it was weeks. rough but you guys are awesome uh, thank you for doing this i you know we've obviously been fans forever we love female founders it's kind of like our the heart of what drives jbc and i just think everything you guys have done has been so amazing and the connection you have is is really beautiful and um you know like we knew it on cue <laughs> on cue
All right, Melissa, I'll let you finish up. Yeah. <laughs> so you. that said, that was the partnership. Make sure to visit our website, jenniferbet.com, where you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Instagram at the partner underscore ship. Thank you. Thank you.